I'm Hannah Lutz with Automotive News. We'll get to Daily Drive shortly, but I wanted to let you know about a special podcast series called EV1, A Legacy in a New Light. 25 years ago, General Motors rolled out a vehicle called the EV1. It was a triumph of electrification that ended in a crushing blow. But the car planted the seed for the industry's embrace of EVs today. In the special podcast series, automotive news reporter Pete Bigelow and I talk with those involved in the rise and the fall of this electric vehicle. You can find the series at autonews.com slash EV1 podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Daily Drive is brought to you by eBay Motors. Auto dealers, are you missing the most engaged buyers because you don't know where to find them? At eBay Motors, you'll find buyers so motivated, they purchase a car or truck once every three minutes. Just call 866-210-5362 and mention code AUTONEWS to get 50% off your first two months. Hi everyone and welcome to Daily Drive. I'm Steve Schmidt with Automotive News. It's Friday, April 30th. In this week's edition of Automotive News, we reported that, according to Auto Forecast Solutions, more than 80,000 Ford GM and Stellantis vehicles were taken off production schedules the week of April 19th. That brings total loss production in North America among all automakers to 762,000 units, according to the forecasting firm, which also says lost production in North America as a result of the semiconductor shortage could top 960,000 vehicles. According to former Missouri Governor Matt Blunt, president of the Washington, D.C.-based American Automotive Policy Council, the group that represents Ford, GM, and Stellantis on public policy interests, those production cuts are also impacting the employees of the companies his team represents and will have long-term effect on gross domestic product. Policymakers are paying attention. On February 24th, the White House ordered a review of potential risks that could impact supply chain resiliency. On April 12th, the administration hosted a virtual CEO summit to discuss the crisis. General Motors CEO Mary Barra, Ford CEO Jim Farley, and Stellantis CEO Carlos Tavares all attended. On April 27th, a U.S. Senate subcommittee heard testimony from auto industry groups urging action on the issue. And earlier in this week, in his address to a joint session of Congress and the American people, President Biden talked about how the United States needs to invest in its ability to develop and dominate the products and technologies of the future, including computer chips, advanced batteries, and clean energy, all areas where the automotive industry plays a critical role. Blunt says all important discussions where action needs to be taken, but he also says investments made today will likely not help navigate the crisis in the near term. Instead, he says the long-term benefits that come from U.S. investment in semiconductor manufacturing and infrastructure will help mitigate these kinds of supply chain disruptions in the future, will directly improve the competitiveness of the United States on a global scale, will improve America's national security, and finally, and perhaps most importantly to many Americans living on Main Street, will fuel economic growth that creates the sort of high-paying, family-supporting jobs that every American and every community desires. Blunt also believes and is recommending that any investment in U.S. semiconductor manufacturing include provisions that some portion be reserved for use in the automotive industry. Why? Well, we'll let Governor Matt Blunt, president of the American Automotive Policy Council, explain. Governor Blunt, thank you for joining the Daily Drive podcast. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. Hope you're well. I am. Thank you. It's good to speak with you, and thank you for taking a few minutes to discuss the semiconductor shortage 
Can you give our listeners an update on the latest discussions in D.C. on the semiconductor shortage since the April 12th CEO summit and maybe even some discussions since uh, meetings with Congress earlier this week? Sure. And uh, appreciate the opportunity to visit about uh, a real challenge for the industry. As, as you well know, um, production losses for the three companies that we represent in uh, the, at the American Automotive Policy Council, uh, Ford, General Motors, and Stellantis, uh, will range between 250 to 500,000 vehicles for 2021. So it is having a and that's just our three member companies, of course, transplant companies that are in the United States and producing here. Um, we'll, we'll see uh, reduced uh, production as well. So clearly that's having an impact on our, our member companies, um, our employees and communities that, uh, that we're located in. And uh, given the magnitude of the automotive uh, industry, and the, it even has an effect on gross domestic product. So um, it is definitely a priority, I know, for our members to do everything they can to mitigate um, the damage in the short and think really effectively about how we can um, mitigate the chances of this happening again uh, in the years uh, to come. And I think in terms of uh, Washington, D.C. and the U.S. government's uh, public policy response, I think there are two two tracks. Certainly one is the short-term and immediate uh, impact and what can be done to uh, uh, improve the situation in the near term. Uh, and then, of course, the, the long term, as we think through uh, the sorts of investments um, that I think folks in both political parties are in favor of that would uh, create more resilient supply chains in lots of sectors, but also lead to a more resilient uh, semiconductor supply chain. You know, I think in the short term, it is challenging given the fact that um, semiconductor fabricators uh, appear to be producing as many semiconductors as they uh, possibly uh, can. Uh, and it's just, it's um, you know, there's shortages uh, across a number of different sectors. So we would argue that uh, there's no sector that the impact has had the same sort of economic impact as the automobile semiconductor shortage. If there is, I'm not aware of it. This is really the shortage that has had the greatest impact. And clearly, when we can't produce a vehicle here in the United States because we're lacking a handful of semiconductors, um, that has a much greater impact uh, on the economy than if you can't make a, a, a smartphone in China because you're lacking semiconductors. So we are really encouraging um, semiconductor fabricators and wafer foundries to prioritize the auto industry uh, to the maximum extent possible. And we've asked the U.S. government to, to, to echo those, um, that request uh, to some of our critical uh, suppliers. Um, you know, and I think I think there there's been action on that request, but unfortunately, you know, given despite a lot of good efforts and a lot of I think best efforts in some cases by by many, um, we have not seen an improvement in the short term situation. And really, what we hope would be a staff of the the year problem is certainly going to be with us for all of calendar year 2021 and may seep into calendar year 2022. So that's all, I'm giving you a long answer to your question. That's sort of the short-term approach. Um, this, on the long-term, is they look at 
funding, and there's lots of different uh, potential funding mechanisms for semiconductor um, manufacturing incentives. And we were very pleased to see what was called the CHIPS Act was passed uh, last year, but it still needs to be funded. And there's lots of different ways you could could fund it. Um, you know, I think there is a there is a growing understanding that automotive semiconductors are unique, and we can talk about that some more if you want. Mm-hmm. Um, but an understanding that you know you could address a lot of the semiconductor shortage and spend a lot of money to help us become you know be at the cutting edge of semiconductor uh, fabrication, but not address um, the needs of the automotive sector and not a, and not create a more resilient automotive uh, semiconductor supply chain. So we've been urging um, policymakers to really think through how you fund this and what criteria you might establish about the funding so that we can ensure that these public dollars lead to a more resilient semiconductor supply chain with a stronger U.S. base that allows us to build products here uh, in the United States and in North, North America. So that's been a part of our argument. And a lot of our discussion about sort of the, the thinking through the medium and long term here is making sure public dollars are spent in a way that helps folks that want to build a great product here in America. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to I want to dive into a couple of those things that you mentioned uh, in your your response, things around competitiveness and in and, and national security for for uh, the U.S. Even even touch on the funding of the Chips Act. But one of the things you said was, and, and one of the things you're proposing as part of the council is to reserve uh, some percentage of UN U.S. investment into semiconductor manufacturing for automotive. I think we, we've you've talked about and touched upon, and and quite frankly, I think our listeners understand why automotive. Is in, is unique and and why that that is critical to automotive manufacturing. My question is, how optimistic do you think that policymakers will be in in listening to that to that uh, recommendation? Well, I think um, I, I think they will listen, and I think there is an understanding uh, that's developed that the automotive semiconductor needs are in some ways some ways different. Um, you know, we have to meet what's, what are called American Electronics Council uh, standards, um, with, meaning we withstand, you know, extreme heat and humidity stresses that normal consumer electronics semiconductors might not withstand. We've got a long lifespan compared to consumer electronics, um, just greater physical durability and a much, much lower uh, failure rate that the auto sector uh, is deemed to be acceptable. And we do tend to use for a lot of our um, functionalities, sort of old, larger nodes that uh, some of the consumer electronics industry is, is perhaps moving o- away from. So we have some unique needs, and I think folks are, are developing an understanding of that. Um, at the same time, you know, it, it, it certainly uh, is a conversation about how you can make sure that this funding um, it addresses the, the auto sector's needs. So I'm relatively optimistic. I think folks understand that if you're going to spend billions of public dollars, you need to ensure that that product uh, ends up um, with companies that want to make a product here in the United States. It doesn't do a lot of good in terms of uh, creating a more resilient supply chain to spend billions of dollars 
uh, to fabricate semiconductors um, that end up getting sent to Asia to make consumer electronics products. It does make sense to create a more resilient U.S.-based supply chain if you're going to use it for products that are built here and in the United States and with our North American partners. Well, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and like or different than than consumer electronics companies, right? You know, I mean, there are very few industries in America that push millions upon millions of products off American manufacturing lines and the jobs and the downstream tier tier uh, supply chain and the jobs there and, and you know the, the know-how that comes from R&D, the long-term investment, some of those things uh, President Biden spoke about uh, last night in his his speech. Um, you know, this is this is a, a broader ecosystem play in terms of the long-term competitiveness and the long-term economic growth for the United States. Would you agree? Oh, I would, I would absolutely, absolutely agree. And, uh, you know, this, um, I think one thing we've all realized is we've uh, thought through what caused this shortage and the, seen the impact of the shortage is just the, the absolute need to, um, create a more diverse supply chain. It's not reliant upon a handful of countries and a handful of, uh, companies, but, uh, uh, it, it certainly has greater resiliency and um, and this has a greater U.S. base. Let's turn to the funding piece and the CHIPS Act. You know, there are diverging views, at least from, from what I've read and seen, among policymakers regarding whether it should be part of the administration's $2 trillion infrastructure plan, whether it should be funded in some other way. What's your opinion or the opinion of the American Automotive Policy Council? Sure, we're we're totally you know agnostic as to what the, the funding mechanism might be. As you point out, there are lots of different paths. The infrastructure uh, bill is certainly one. Um, there's lots of ways to fund the Chips Act through the normal appropriations uh, process. There's legislation, things like the one one piece of legislation called Endless Frontiers Act um, could be a funding mechanism. So there's lots of ways. Uh, to provide this funding. Uh, our, our, our focus is on ensuring that when the funding does occur, it's um, substantial, uh, but at the same time, it's also a, a great use of public, uh, public sector dollars, tax dollars, uh, and will actually benefit some of the industries that want to build products here in the United States. And as, as you point out, employ hundreds of thousands of Americans with uh, even more jobs dependent on that employment. Well, part of that also needs to be sustainable funding, right? We often see these situations where government in the United States supports efforts, you know, the, the National Institute of Health as an organization, as an example, that rises to the top, at least in my in my memory, that continues to get uh, stable, consistent funding year after year after year. And that's because a lot of the work that they do are these long-term research and development efforts. So, you know, I, you know, your point of view on where it comes from, I, I think is important, but how important is the fact that, you know, whatever investments that they, that the government makes in this issue, they're sustainable to allow companies to have some sort of confidence, some sort of certainty that the work that they do there will be able to carry on for, for years to come. Sure. And I do, I do think to some extent this will be a, sort of a one-time infusion, but it's a significant one-time infusion that helps um, incentivize some of the research and development that folks want to do to keep us on the cutting edge of semiconductor design. 
um, and then also incentivizes and helps support some of the extremely substantial capital costs associated with uh, wafer foundries and semiconductor fabricators. So, um, you know, I think this could be an issue where we do make this one-time infusion uh, and then in years to come decide we're going to replicate a part of it. My guess is, and I think one of the reasons we're so focused on ensuring that there is an automotive component to this and that it's funded in a way that's beneficial for um, one of America's most important manufacturing sectors, the auto sector, is uh, you know, we think that this this could probably this will probably be the most substantial semiconductor funding that occurs um, over the next uh, several several years. So we want to make sure that we um, that, that that this this occurs in a in a prudent manner. That again, as I said, is beneficial to uh, U.S. manufacturing. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back with more. The most motivated car buyers aren't knocking on your door anymore. They're online, but you don't have to look far. You can find them at eBay Motors. Our platform features over 7 million engaged users. Our buyers are so engaged, they enter over 3 billion search impressions per month and buy a car or truck every three minutes. Today's car buyer has high expectations when they browse online eBay Motors helps you meet those expectations. Use machine learning with our AI-driven vehicle pages, and you'll automatically optimize your buyer's experience. It's as easy as listing your inventory and watching as the most engaged buyers find you. If you've ever uploaded your automotive inventory to a website, you have more than enough skills to get your cars listed on eBay Motors. It will feel like you're setting up an entirely new car dealership within minutes. Once you list your available inventory, you'll have additional support from the platform, including a single destination page for your entire brand. Want to generate more sales automatically? eBay Motors lets you choose between auction, classified, and fixed-price listing options so the site does the heavy lifting. It even integrates with your existing dealer or vehicle management system. All you have to do is list your inventory. Sit back, relax, watch a movie, and then check back in to see the sales you've made. How do you start? It's as simple as creating an account. Call 866-210-5362 and mention the code AUTONEWS to get 50% off your first two months. Find out why selling cars has never been this easy. That number again, 866-210-5362. We did a survey of Automotive News subscribers and readers April 13th and 16th. I'm going to share with you some early analysis and, and get your reaction on these. So 44% say proposed semiconductor and infrastructure legislation improves America's competitiveness. But only 27% say that proposed legislation will have a significant effect on addressing the chip shortage. And only 24% feel the crisis will have a significant influence on the actual adoption of the infrastructure bill. What's your reaction to that? Yeah, I think some of those, I mean, your, 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 uh, your readers, I'm sure, have a lot more technical knowledge about the auto industry than, than I do. Um, I, I think this, that the proposed semiconductor and infrastructure legislation um, will have a substantial uh, impact on America's competitiveness and an positive impact. Uh, so I, I think that that's that probably the 44% is, is probably lower than I think it, it ought to be. And certainly if we do semiconductor funding right, um, lower than I think it will be after we look back and, and see what was accomplished. Um, 
on the, uh, I think you said 27% significant impact on addressing the current ship shortage. I think that's, that's, that may even be high. It's, it's, it's probably not going to have an impact on the uh, immediate uh, shortage. Really, the only way to do that is just to prioritize uh, the auto sector uh, from global fabricators all around the world uh, ensure they're prioritizing the sector to the extent they can and we have we know every industry uh is is uh is addressing uh, what appears to be a, a shortage but as i said no industry has um seen i think the sort of negative economic impact that the auto sector has seen because of it and then on the the crisis having significant influence on the adoption of um the maybe not the infrastructure bill, but I do think this crisis is going to have a very um, significant influence on the ultimate adoption of some of these uh, some of this incentive funding. I think folks have realized uh, as they've dug into the problem, it doesn't make sense to be as reliant as we are today on a handful of companies and really just one or two, maybe three or four countries around the world. Uh, we need a, a more broad-based supply chain and one that has a larger U.S. base uh, and certainly one that um, you know our allies around the world are participating in as, as well. But I do think the shortage has helped everybody better understand the, the nature of this problem and has helped everybody better understand the need for uh, investment and, and some of this critical uh, supply chain. In a lot of ways, these semiconductors are building blocks of a modern economy and it makes sense to ensure that we're producing an appropriate amount here and that we have uh, ready access to semiconductors from uh, fabricators around the world what do you think it's going to take to get that legislation passed how long do you think it's going to take or get that funding that we spoke about earlier yeah i think it'll be it'll be longer than anybody wishes it will it will be because as you know i mean from the time you uh, decide to build a, a new uh, semiconductor uh, facility. It can be uh, a few years before it's in operation. And then, of course, you have the long lead time, even on f- fulfillment of orders. So uh, it will definitely um, not move as quickly as anybody in the auto industry wants it uh, to move. But there are lots of policymakers that I think are uh, understand how important it is to move forward. And again, whether the semiconductor funding is in the infrastructure bill or one of these other pieces of legislation or just appropriated through a more normal uh, appropriation process, um, I'm, I'm fairly optimistic that it will that it will ultimately be funded. What are the implications for any delays in, in passing that funding? Well, it just delays it just delays uh, further delays um, the creation of a more resilient uh, supply chain and just uh, you know, delays the benefits of having um, more uh, capacity globally and then, of course, more capacity right here in the United States. So let's turn the lens a little bit more broadly to American manufacturing competitiveness overall and, and on a global scale. I, you know, I, I'm I'm of the opinion, and, and I don't know if you are as well, that, you know, over the last 40 years or so, we've seen an offshoring of making things of, you know, things with highly innovative content, things like flat screen TVs, solar panels, et cetera, in, in lieu of low cost manufacturing. Do you think we found ourselves in that same situation again with with semiconductors? Have we have we given away our competitive advantage uh, in lieu of low cost manufacturing, and now we're we're fighting to get it back? Yeah, I think uh, you know, there's no question that we design and, and we lead the world in design semiconductor design, and that's a uh, 
competitive advantage we want to retain, and certainly that's an important component of some of the semiconductor uh, incentive funding that's being uh, considered. Um, but we have moved, I think, too much of our production in semiconductors offshore. Um, you know, certainly, I'm very proud to work for companies that uh, understand uh, how you can uh, keep competitive in the global marketplace and how sometimes you do have to partner with other countries to build products in a way that keeps you competitive. But uh, even even prouder to work for uh, three companies that um, really are committed to building products here in the United States and uh, producing the sort of high-paying, family-supporting jobs that I think every um, every American and every community d- desires. Um, I think this whole crisis, uh, semiconductor shortage, has just perhaps given us the wake-up call we need in time to really ensure that we don't uh, allow the semiconductor production capabilities in the United States to become hollowed out and allow us to ensure that we are capable of building a lot of the semiconductors that all of our industries, including the auto sector, need right here in the United States. I'd like to close with maybe a look forward and particularly around the industry push towards electrification and U.S. policy. Again, a lot of the, the the comments that the Biden administration has been talking about over the last 100 days and and again, even in last night's speech. Um, you know, I want to turn you know, this topic of electrification, you know, not only from a competitive advantage in the United States, are we in danger of losing that competitive advantage? And do you fear potential supply chain disruptions on that topic when you think about multiple industries like semiconductors uh, vying for lithium and rare earth metals and in really this this commodity that is a shared commodity among multiple industries um not just something that's exclusive to the to the automotive industry are we we perhaps in danger of a future supply chain disruption on that topic if we don't make some changes now sure so i mean i think clearly the us auto sector is a is a global leader um, in terms of electrification, uh, automated driving assistance systems, autonomous vehicles. Those are all areas where Americans should be really proud of the leadership that the U.S. auto sector is uh, is providing. Um, the reason we do that is they don't take I don't think our, at least our member companies they don't take any of that for granted. They know that they need to keep focused. They know to they know better than than I do, that it's a very competitive global industry and you've got to uh, keep on your toes if you're going to stay ahead of the game. And uh, they're committed to, to doing that. Um, you know, I do think is the, as to the risk uh, to disruption of semiconductors and the EV battery supply chains, I think there are some parallels there. And I think such the over-concentration of inputs and manufacturing in just a few locations is, I think, is certainly one. As we said, we don't make as much of this stuff in as many countries as we probably should and certainly don't make as much of it here in the United States. Uh, so when it comes to, you know, that semi- the semiconductors, the over, over concentration of wafer manufacturing in one country and one company has definitely contributed to the bottlenecks and other disruptions we're, we're seeing today. So like semiconductors, I think these materials for uh, EV batteries, um, things like cobalt, nickel, lithium, and also the things that we need for electric motors, such as the like rare earth metals. I'm certainly not an expert on rare earth metals, but I know it's over-concentrated in countries 
like Congo, uh, which, for example, I think represents over half the supply of cobalt. Uh, and China, of course, is where a lot of that cobalt is refined. Um, and, of course, China is where a lot of the rare earth metals are being mined today. So this overconcentration, it does expose, I think, the EV uh, supply chain to possible disruptions. And uh, that's why recent uh, in recent comments to the U.S. government, um, we, we recommended that they, the government try and facilitate um, the diversification sourcing for all of those types of materials um, as, to the extent we can here in the United States itself and the extent that that's not uh, a feasible or logical thing to do. We want to make sure we're encouraging uh, countries that are U.S. allies uh, to develop um, those uh, raw materials in a responsible way and uh, develop the uh, the capabilities to to refine them and provide us with the products we're going to need for uh, the electric uh, electrification of a lot of the uh, U.S. automotive uh, park. Governor Blunt, thank you for joining me today on Daily Drive. Terrific insight, terrific perspective, uh, and thanks for what you're doing and what the American Automotive Policy Council is doing uh, on behalf of the automotive industry in in Washington, D.C. Appreciate you taking a few minutes. Well, thanks for having me, and uh, certainly uh, in, in, enjoy uh, enjoyed visiting with you about uh, semiconductors and electric vehicles and uh, other issues. So thanks for having me on. That's Daily Drive for Friday, April 30th. For breaking news, go to autonews.com. And to catch up on all of our episodes of Daily Drive, go to autonews.com forward slash daily drive. As always, thanks for listening. Have an amazing weekend.